do my best to continue on in a series of messages that I began, it feels like a month ago now. It's been almost a month ago. Several weeks ago, I began a message um, uh, called Equipped. Equip. We're talking about the equipping of the church, the equipping of the saints, uh, as we see in Ephesians chapter 4. And we've been walking through a few things. Um, again, I'm going to do a heavy recap for several reasons. Number one, that message did not get recorded for whatever reason. Uh, obviously, the devil doesn't want this to get out. So uh, we're going to do a, a brief, quick recap and um, uh, try to jump back into this thing. Then the following week, we had some storms come through here. We had a postponed service. Then last week, we had kids with us, and there was no way I was going to try to go deep into conversation with a room full of kids. But uh, how many of you were here last week? How many of you were touched by the presence of God in this place? Amen. It was awesome to see the Holy Spirit move that way. And uh, we're thankful for those times. But we're going to teach the word. And I'm going to tell you right now, the Holy Spirit is just as much in the teaching of the word as he is in the moving of the gifts and manifestations. Do you all believe that? All right. So, uh, you know, we don't need to get hopped, hyped up and hopped up um, about, uh, you know, the, the free-flowing manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the different people that came up and spoke last week, how awesome that was. Um, but we're going to be just as hyped for the teaching of the Word. Houston ain't got nothing on Valdosta, Georgia this morning, right? That stadium better not be more excited than this church. They better not be expecting something, and you guys are just like, well, this is just church. This is what we do until we go see the Super Bowl. Okay. I only know of a couple people that are really even pulling for the team that's going to win today anyway, so that's all right. Rise up, right? Rise up. Genesis chapter 2. I better go on before I get myself in trouble. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Genesis 2, verse 17. He says, God says to Adam, but of the tree of the what? What is that word? I'm going to need you to respond today. They're going to respond in Houston. We're going to respond today. But the tree of the what? Knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It was a tree of knowledge. It was a tree that was a symbol, a symbol of something. It wasn't just fruit that was poisonous and all the rest of it was good. There was a symbol here. They were accessing something that did not belong to them. Okay? They were accessing something that they did not have access to. So we jump over to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to move pretty quick. Uh, if you're taking notes, hopefully you're taking notes, um, write, you know, write this stuff down. If you're not taking notes, write it down anyways. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning, tricky than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is the which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. By the way, God never said you couldn't touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Look at this. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, this is just interesting to me. This just blows my mind that the devil would tempt man 
with something that would give him access to more knowledge. You think that the devil would be trying to to keep knowledge hidden from you. That he doesn't want you to know knowledge. That he doesn't want you to access knowledge. You would think the devil would be trying to keep them as far away from this tree as possible. Because if they eat of this tree, and the devil even says, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Could it be that the temptation that is in our lives is not the temptation to walk away from God? But could it be that the temptation in our lives is to know more about God without knowing God? Could it be? Could it be that the devil isn't so worried about you sitting in this room today? Could it be that the devil isn't really as scared of of, of how much Bible reading you do? Could it be that the devil's not really concerned if you're able to fill that Bible reading plan out uh, by the end of this year and check off all the marks and read it twice? Could it be that the devil's not really concerned about that? Hmm. He's actually luring them with more knowledge about God. But here's the problem. Point number one that we saw. We were never designed to acquire knowledge outside of God. Man was not designed just to acquire knowledge about God. He was designed to acquire knowledge through God. Through God. Uh, when we keep reading here in Genesis chapter 3, this has been the premise of this series. So you've got to grab this here. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Verse 7, just what the devil said would happen, happened. Then the eyes of both of them were open. We're not talking about physical eyes here. We're not talking about they were blind, wandering around. They, there were spiritual eyes that were, did not have access to something that now have access to something. They now have eyes of knowledge. And they recognize, whoa, we're naked. <laughs> That's what it says. And they, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now watch this in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, what's that next word? Mm. I thought if I read my Bible more, I'd be closer to God. I thought if I went to church more, I'd be closer to God. But yet the very knowledge that you would think would bring you closer actually drew them further. It actually separated them. Why? Because accessing knowledge in a way that God has not commanded you to access knowledge is sin. It's disobedience. It's disobedience. Everything that God wanted man to know about him was in him. And the tree provided another route, if you will. Another way, another avenue. Another way to access and acquire, to, 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 to have knowledge about God that makes me feel spiritual, have knowledge about God that, that makes me feel like I'm there, but I'm actually further than I was before I started. I've actually drawn, 
uh, I've actually drawn away from God himself, even though I know more about God himself. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells a parable kind of along these lines. 18 verse 10. Luke chapter 18 verse 10. I still hear some pages going, so I'm going to give you a couple more seconds here. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to seek knowledge outside of God. It's dangerous to have knowledge of something without knowing someone. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. The other a tax collector. Pharisee would be a spiritual person. Pharisee would be an individual that knows, 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 knows the law, knows the word, knows the commands, knows how to obey and what disobedience looks like because they'll drag you out in the street. And when you're caught in the middle of adultery, they'll drag you right out and stone you because they know the law. They know it. And they know how to hold you accountable to it. You ever met some spiritual people that they know how to keep you accountable to the word? They know how to, hey, that's not what the words, hey, that's not, that, hey, no, no, that's not what, that, that's not what Pastor Mark said, no. There's Pharisees, and then there's tax collectors, and there's tax collectors that, 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 that they're, they're, they're just trying to get as close as possible. They don't know it all, they don't have it all together, they, they miss it every now and then. But, but, but there's something different, the outside looks different, but I can tell you the inside looks different too. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee and the, uh, the Pharisee stood and prayed, thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm, I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this lowly, measly tax collector. I fast twice a week. Mm. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. See, the goal is to be justified. The goal isn't to be right. The goal is to be justified. Justified in his eyes. Not right in man's eyes, right in God's eyes. And that's a lot different because God has a different measuring stick. Some of us have been measuring ourselves according to man's measuring stick and God's saying, here's my stick and you ain't even close. I got a different measuring stick. I got a different way of identifying your progress. I've got a different way of, of looking at the results. I tell you, the man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's interesting that one exalted himself and the other was exalted by God. Who's exalting you? You or God? How are we being lifted up? And so this, uh, we, we see this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He, he said, there, knowledge is a good thing. And look, I'm not talking against knowledge. I'm not saying that we all need to walk around stupid and ignorant of what the word of God says. Um, um, and, and I use those words not just to just to say stupid, but stupid means I don't want to know like a tax collector that might say, I don't want to know anything about God. I'm good with my sin. I'm all right. I'm, you know, God's already I said the prayer. I did my little Lord's prayer thing. No, we don't want to be that. But we also don't want to be ignorant and just 
walking around not knowing. There is a desire to know, and that we do need to acquire knowledge. I'm not here to debate whether we are to acquire knowledge. I'm here to help us see how we are to acquire knowledge. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, says this, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. We know that we all have knowledge. And this church had knowledge. The Corinthian church had knowledge. But knowledge has a problem. It's got a side effect, if you will. Knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. Knowledge puffs up. One translation says knowledge makes arrogant. Makes you prideful. In essence, knowledge makes you feel like you've acquired something or that you've uh, risen to a certain status, but haven't. Knowledge. James said, but be ye doers of the word. James 1 verse 22 for my note takers that are referencing. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And then the next passage, the next phrase is, the, is, is what we need to see. Deceiving yourselves. People that hear the word but do not do the word are deceived. What's the deception? The deception is I've got something when I really don't. We're deceived. We're deceived. That's called deception. That's, the deception is believing something false as though it is true. It is so hard to tell a person that they're deceived because they're deceived. They, they, they literally believe what they're looking at even though it's false in, in every context is truth. There's a deception there. How can we avoid this deception? Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. It's a different knowing. A lot of married people in here today. And you probably know stuff about your spouse. You probably know what kind of food they like and what they don't like. If you don't, I would encourage you to have that conversation today. I have found it to be very helpful. (laughs) It works. No, I don't like that. Yep, all right, taking it back. That wasn't it, wrong one. I have my wife send me actual pictures of the grocery aisle or the actual item off of a Publix app or something, because do not send me in the grocery store expecting me to know exactly what this item, just by the title and name, is going to look like, what aisle it's on, or all the different assortment of flavors that may come in. Yeah, that's the Yoplait yogurt, but I don't like peach. Yep, you didn't, you didn't assign a flavor to it, so uh, we just picked anything up. But it's helpful to know stuff about my spouse, but I don't want to know about my wife outside of knowing my wife. I want to get to know her. I want to get to know her. And as a result of knowing her, I'll know about her. But see, I can eliminate the knowing her and still know about her. Right? I can eliminate the intimate part, I can eliminate the part that actually brings me close and that actually causes me to have to be in relationship with the individual and still learn stuff 
I can know what she likes to eat without ever talking to her. I can do, there are things you can discover about God and never actually talk to him. There are things we can know about God and never actually get to know God. This, this, is, this is the danger. And so look at Ephesians chapter 4. This is our verse where we where we getting this, where we're getting this premise from. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes arrogant. It's, we have to keep it in check. Knowledge comes with a responsibility. Knowledge comes with a responsibility. Whatever you know, you are now responsible for. Whatever you know, I can now hold you accountable for. There's a responsibility here. There's an element that comes with knowledge. And starting with verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. That is what we call the fivefold ministry of the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. There's five of them. Five gifts that Jesus himself has given to you. The church has no right. The church has, has, has no right refusing the gifts that Jesus has given to the church. I don't need a pastor. I can do home Bible study. No, you can't. Because you can't shepherd yourself. Sheep make terrible shepherds. Why do you think we have a parable of the 99 but one that wanders off? Oh, this looks good. No, no, no. Oh, back here. Oh, okay. Sorry. Got to have a shepherd. Got to have a shepherd. Got to have someone watching over your soul, Paul said. These are overseers. You are an overseer. You take care of the flock. You tend the flock. Paul said, I have, I have many burdens. I have many things, including the daily tending of the sheep, of taking care of the flock, he said. That was a responsibility of his, and he did not take it lightly. You've got to have a pastor. You've got to have a pastor that cares about shepherding sheep. Because sheep poop, and sheep wander off, and sheep get lost, and sheep have to be taken care of, and sheep have to be fed. So you need a pastor that's not a preacher. Okay, come on now. And I, talk, I don't pastor on Sunday mornings. I pastor Monday through Saturday. I pastor in offices, and I pastor at Starbucks, and I pastor in parking lots of, of sports stores. I pastor. This is just, this is the, the cherry on the top. Just 10% of what I do. You got a pastor, amen? You got to have a pastor. You got to have prophets. You got to have evangelists. You got to have teachers. You got to have apostles, which we're going to unveil this year. Because this church has an apostle. I am not the apostle. I am not the prophet. I am not the evangelist. I'm not. If you, if you have a pastor that thinks he's got to do all of it, it might be a little bit of insecurity showing up. But you know what? God will bring us prophet. And God will bring us evangelists. God will bring us teachers. God will bring us apostles. Pastor Earl Glisson, Anchor Faith Church in St. Augustine, Florida, is the apostle of this house. 
He's the apostle, just as the apostle Paul was starting new works. That is a, a gifting of the apostle. They can, they can see the formation of it, and they're, they're always producing. And they produce this one, and then they leave someone and assign it there. So, okay, we're going to go over here, and I'm going to check back on you now. Paul came back and said, now, look, I, I planted and Apollos watered. But now it's God who brings the increase. But I'm checking back, and I'm not getting great reports. First Corinthians chapter three, you guys are all in strife and you're uh, a lot of bitterness and backbiting and you're talking about each other. Then you got individuals sleeping with individuals and then you got people taking each other to court in the church, not talking about the world in the church. So the apostle steps in and says, "Okay, everything going okay, everything running smoothly. That's the apostle. We need these. Giftings. But why do we have these giftings? So we can hear uh, little messages and, and someone to, to, to plan a church and build it up so we have a place to go so we can do our religious duties? No. Verse 12 says for. Everyone say for. For defines the responsibility of what precedes it. Okay? Brandy, who do you work for? Who do you work for? Ulta. She works for the store, retail store called Ulta that my wife loves. And I know that because I know my wife, not because I know about my wife. But I don't know what she loves there. So I know she loves money. I can put money on an Ulta card that could be spent there and she can get whatever she loves. But Brandy, Brandy works for Ulta. So the responsibility Following for is applied to what comes before for. The fivefold ministry gifts, verse 12, are given for the educating of the saints. Is that what that says? But in these last days, there's a lot of education going on. The church has replaced educating for equipping. We've made a substitute. We've flipped it. Education is merely an element of equipping. But just because we have gained knowledge does not mean... That we've been equipped. And the five-fold ministry gifts, all of them, all five of them, by the way, we lean heavily on the pastor because the pastor is the shepherd. He's the overseer. But all five are given for the equipping of the saints. What is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is to bring heaven to earth. Is to bring God's kingdom back into the earth. The church is an, an assembly of people. The church is an assembly of people called out from their locations, called out from their homes, called out from their businesses. They assemble together in one place. And they are equipped to bring God's kingdom back to this earth. The kingdom that was lost in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis, the, the, the kingdom that was lost in Genesis chapter 3, because when man sinned, he did not lose access to heaven, because he was never in heaven. You can't lose what you never had. I cannot honestly make the statement, I lost a million dollars. I don't know where it is. I've never had a million dollars. 
cannot say it. I lost $10. Because I've had $10. And I lost it. If you see it, let me know. Or just put it in the office. Okay? You cannot lose what you never had. Adam and Eve weren't in heaven. So they weren't wandering around that garden saying, When's Jesus coming back? Oh, when the clouds split for glory. Go on into Beulah land and walk on the streets of gold. Just can't, I wonder what my mansion's going to be like. Well, Eve, what do you want in your mansion? Not having that conversation. Christians have that conversation. But Adam and Eve never had that conversation. So what did they lose then? What, 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 what did they forfeit? What did they give up? They gave, they gave up the authority that was given to them in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, because God created man. And he said, you know what? Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. They're going to look like us. They're going to act like us. They're going to talk like us. They're going to respond like us. They're going to do everything we're doing in heaven. They're going to do it in the earth. And let them have dominion. Yeah, I think it's going to be good. They're, they need to rule over some stuff. They need to be able to control stuff. They're down in that earth. They're going to have to manage it. They have to take care of it. It doesn't belong to them, but they're going to have to take care of it. They're going to have to manage it properly. They're going to have to manage the earth the way I manage heaven. So the devil shows up and he says, look, if you eat of this tree in the garden, what's he doing? He's, he's, He's saying, how can I get them to sin? Because if I can get them to disobey, they'll give up everything that belongs to them. See, that's why sin is so dangerous, because sin causes you to forfeit what God has already given you. There's a forfeiture that's taking place. There's a letting go. The devil did not steal. The devil did not steal the, the authority from man. It was handed to him on a silver platter. Here you go, devil. Because when I come out of submission, I am removed from authority. Because my, my authority is tied to my level of submission. I cannot rule if I cannot obey. All my military guys in this room this morning, you can answer to that. You know, if you don't obey the chain of command, if you don't stay within the submission level of the authority above you, you are not in charge of anything below you. That principle started in Genesis chapter 3 with God. That's where we get that from. Can't obey me? Nothing's going to listen to you. So they handed over their authority. So God has given the church that authority back. And he says, you're back in charge again. You're going to bring my kingdom back to this earth. Because man didn't lose heaven. He lost the kingdom. So we're going to restore the kingdom. Now, I am not saying for all my, 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 my new people, the new faces that we, we love to see at Anchor Faith Church. I am not saying that we're not going to go to heaven. That is not what I'm declaring today. There is a heaven that is waiting for us. But your purpose for coming into the kingdom of God was so you could bring the kingdom back to the earth. That's the purpose of the church. Now, the church is not a service. Church is not an event. A lot of us say, I'm going to the church. We've written songs about it. We talk about going to the church, and we talk about doing church and attending church. And church is an event, and church is a, is a time block on our Sunday morning calendar. It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And, 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 and so uh, we, we, we have this danger of thinking church service, church location, church event. But the church is a people. You're the church. And you're not just the church on Sunday morning. Even though you might want to be, we're not. We have the responsibility to walk back out that door. I'm more concerned 
not with how you come in, because however you came in, God can change it in this environment, and then you can walk back out that door different so that you can now do a work and empower those around you. That's the big picture. That's the big picture. So the purpose of the church is to bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. The purpose of the church service is to find it now. This is the church service or church experience or whatever term you want to put on it. Most familiar, especially around here, is church service. When does your church service start? We start at 1030. When does it end? Whenever Pastor Mark shuts up. This is the church service. The purpose of the church service is to equip the saints. Equip the saints. But he doesn't stop there. Equip the saints, and look at, what's the next word again? For. That means whatever follows the word for is the responsibility of what is in place before the word for. So, saints, for. Oh. Oh. Can I say that word in here? Is that okay? Work. Work. Nobody's leaving yet. Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. I thought that was for pastors and teachers, evangelists. I thought you had to have a microphone, an outline, scriptures. You had to have a title in front of your name. No, it says equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That's interesting. Equipping for the edifying or the strengthening or the encouraging of the body of Christ. How long are we supposed to do this for? He says, until we all come to the unity of the faith. Anybody there yet? Unity of the faith and of the what? Knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, we got some work to do. Look at him and say, we got, we got some work to do. We're on our way. We got unity of faith and we've got knowledge of the Son of God and a perfect man and the measure of the stature of fullness. We got some work to do that we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Doesn't just say wind of false doctrine, it says wind of doctrine. Okay, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Genesis chapter 3. But speaking the truth in love, it's not what you say, but it's how you say it, right? Come on, Valentine's Day is coming up. If you want to have a good Valentine's Day, it's not what you say. It's how you say it. Come on. The truth in love may grow up. You mean we can't just stay babies? No, we're going to grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. I love that he says joint and not muscle or bone or like actually names body parts. He says joint. Why? Because a joint only works if it's connecting something to something. I'm a joint. No, you ain't. Not all by yourself. Not out there just all disconnected, just sitting out all by yourself on your own little island. The only way you're a joint is if you're connecting something. The only way you're fulfilling your purpose is if you are connecting this 
to this. I'm connecting babies to the word. I'm connecting uh, the love of God to new people that are walking through the doors that have have depression and bondages and afflictions going. We are connecting people uh, through the power of worship and praise to the throne room of God. We are making connections all over this place every weekend. We are joints connecting stuff. You are not on your own little island and doing church according to the effective working, which every part does its share. And man, if we do that, it'll cause growth of the body. Sometimes we're more concerned about our own growth than we are the growth of the body. When's the last time we were interested in the growth of somebody next to us? When's the last time we were interested in the growth of our children? When's the last time we were interested in the growth of, of our co-workers and, 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 and those that we're pouring? Our, why are we so concerned with our own growth? He says it'll cause growth of the body for the edifying of itself. The body was designed to strengthen itself. That means I don't need to go outside to get strengthened. I can get strengthened right here. The strengthening is in itself. Self-healing. Paul says that when one hurts, we all hurt. That's why I had you turn around and lay hands on the individuals that are... Why, why does the pastor have to do it? No, if we're equipping properly rather than educating, we'll quit relying on the pastor to do everything. We'll quit relying on the pastor to do everything. Equip means this. Equip means to furnish or provide. Furnish or provide with whatever is needed for use. To furnish or provide with whatever is needed for use. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5. Paul's writing to the Philippian church. And he has this to say. He's talking about himself. Circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, a what? Pharisee. Pharisee. What does that mean? That means I knew it. That means I knew what I'm talking about. I'm Pharisee. Concerning the law, I got that down. I was raised in it. Raised in it. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Watch this. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, Blameless. That's a pretty good resume on the outside. Pretty good resume. But what things were gained to me, that I have counted loss. Loss. For Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, count them as rubbish, 
One translation says done. Suffered the, the loss for whom I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, not having knowledge, but further separated from God himself. But that which is through faith in Christ, meaning I didn't want to access this outside of God. I wanted to access this through God. Through God. The righteousness which is from God by faith. That means the only way you're going to get it is from God himself. You're not going to get it from going to church a certain amount of times. You're not going to get it from reading a Bible reading plan. You're not going to get it from doing all the little spiritual good stuff. You're going to get it through God alone. That I may, what's that word? That I may know him. Not know about him. See, Paul figured it out. He figured it out. He said, I was educated. But I wasn't equipped. I wasn't furnished. I didn't have the resources. Because I was accessing knowledge outside of God himself. But now, now I would consider all the knowledge that I had gained as nothing because now I've gained Christ who is everything. And now, because I have gained Christ, I know more about him than I ever thought I would. Isn't that interesting? See, you don't, you don't even have to You don't have to eliminate knowing about God because when you know God, he'll reveal himself to you. He'll walk in the cool of the day with you. See, Adam and Eve were closer to God before they ate of that tree than after. Because knowledge, access, and acquired the wrong way divides, not unifies. We want to bring together. He says that I would know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. By any means, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And lastly, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, to conclude my introduction. Matthew chapter 7. According to the clock, I have five minutes. It's dangerous to give me a clock. Matthew chapter 7. I say that because we are instituting a a brand new children's curriculum uh, this morning for our children. How many of you think for our children's ministry? Every parent ought to have their hand up. Thankful. Not just for the resources, but for the people that love to invest in our children. And so we are always striving to, to what's the best way possible to present the word of God to them in the most relevant way where they can walk away equipped. Could a three-year-old be equipped? Sure. Maybe more equipped than we are. Maybe. So we're going to do everything we can to present the word. And so we're implementing a brand new uh, curriculum. That goes, you know, the curriculum itself. Um, But, you know, that's why we got toys and all that other good stuff. So they'll figure it out. Matthew chapter 7, verse 
24. Hallelujah. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings and what's that does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Mm, Good stuff. Man of wisdom. He heard it and he did it. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, sitting right next to the wise man, going to the same church, got the same pastor, hearing the same word, he, he hears, but doesn't obey. Access. Same access. Same word. This word has power. Amen? This word has power. But are we short-circuiting the power? But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey, it is, uh, he is foolish like a person who builds his house on the sand. And the same trials and the same tests and the same wind and the same waves and the same storms come and they beat on the house and the house falls. Are we sending houses into the world that are collapsing under the trials and pressures of life? Are we building houses that are falling apart just as much as the world is falling apart? We have the same disagreements the world has. We, we have the same irresponsibilities that the world has. We have the same, same struggles the world has. Same divorce rate in the church that we do in the world. God, how can we fix this? How can we fix this? We've got to be equipped. We can no longer substitute education for equipping. Now, yes, equipping is harder. Yeah, it sure is. How many of my military in this room? Uh, had grenade training. You learned how to throw a grenade. Look at those hands. Woo! I have not ever held a grenade in my hand. So, you don't want to be around me when I have one in my hand. I'll take it all out. We're all going down. Because apparently, there is a process to learning how to throw a grenade. Apparently, it's not just as easy as, here you go. Okay. If it was me, I played baseball all my life, I'd be trying to throw that thing 65 miles an hour, just trying to hit the strike zone. But apparently, that is not the correct way to throw a grenade. Apparently, there's a a whole process that Brent has told me is annoying. Right? Right? Very tedious. And you do it over and over and over and over and over. And just when you think you got it, you're going to do it again. Why? Because they don't want you to be educated on grenades. They want you to be equipped in the battle. This, this, this idea came from my pastor, Pastor Earl. He was in the 
army. He served in the army, and, and, and he used this example that just drove this home. How are we equipping rather than educating? He said the first thing that we did is we sat in the classroom. We watched these videos on grenades. They tell you all the information about it, how, the, how long it takes for them to blow up, what they're made of, what the particles are inside, all the different mechanics and elements and pieces of, of the grenade. And so you watch this video, and there's even some paperwork involved, da 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 And then the next step is they bring in these dummy grenades. So they're not even a real grenade, but it feels like and it weighs uh, like, you know, an actual grenade. And they just want, to, want you to get the feel for it. You know, they just want you to get, you know, what, what does the weight feel like? So, you know, they don't want to give you a, a plastic one, and then you get in there and you got the real thing, and then it's a lot different. So they really want you to experience what this is going to feel like, even though we're not in a real-life scenario. I want you to experience what fear is going to be, feel like when you're not in the real scenario. We need to be trained what depression is going to feel like and what sickness and disease is going to feel like so that when we get in the real-life scenario, we're not dropping grenades and blowing everybody up with them. So we got to have a place to train. we got to have a place to get equipped for that. can't just educate. Oh, yeah, you know, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Power and love. And you get in the real world, and we don't know how to use it. Oh, yeah, I know the, 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 the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. We get out there, and we cuss everybody out. You just took your grenade and you just dropped it and you blew everybody up. Blew up your coworkers, blew yourself up, blew your wife up, blew your husband up, blew your kids up because of a temper, temper tantrum. Because we can come in here and we can shout and praise and sing hallelujah. We know the words. I don't even got to look at the screens anymore. I already got them in my head. And then we get home and we're just messing up. Because we're educated. But we're not equipped. He said they give them that dummy grenade. And then they go through this process. I don't remember if it was with the actual dummy grenade or if they gave them a real grenade at this point. But it was the pull the pin exercise. So you're just practicing pulling the pin. Because grenades have a pin. And when you release, you take the pin, release the trigger, you got about four or five seconds before that thing's going off. But they're just going through the exercise of pulling the pin. What it feels like. In a safe environment. With safeguards all around them, with, 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 with drill instructors staying around saying, okay, you're not doing that right. Boy, we have a trouble with correction in the church, don't we? I've learned this, that people that really desire to grow in life will desire correction more than credit. Sure, uh, credit and affirmation feels great, but I, I need to be redirected sometimes. I need to know when I'm getting it wrong. Sometimes, you know, it's just good. It's like that student that nobody liked in class. Teacher, did I get it right? Did I, did I do it? I, I, I said it right, right? And everybody else is like, shut up. We're just trying to get out of here. But we need to, we need to desire the correction as believers. So there's, there's, there's safety. I've learned this, that if someone doesn't correct me, they don't care about me. You reveal your level of career, you, 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 you reveal your level of care by your level of correction. I care about this facility and I care about what it looks like, so I pick up trash. If you have someone in your life that's picking up trash when you're dropping it on the ground, it's because they care about you, not because they're trying to highlight all the wrong stuff in your life. When they say, hey, we don't say those words. Because I care about you. 
when they call you because you've missed three weeks of church. It's because they care about you. Not because they don't care about you. Not because they want to make you feel bad. We miss you, man. You're part of the body. Because there's life here. So they have those instructors around them just working on pulling the pit. And then they go into an environment which is more of, of a live scenario. And, and, and the way Pastor Earl explains it is just hilarious. They go out and there's this big concrete walls all around. And you see the chunks taken out of, of the wall. And it's almost like it instills fear in your mind. And it's like, dude, this is the real deal now. Like this thing can take my life. You see the seriousness of it, but it's still safe. He said the only thing he never experienced was actually pulling a grenade and launching a grenade in the real life environment. But when, when they pull you into that environment and they see your hands shaking or, or they, 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 they sense any fear, they, they can say, ah, not ready, not ready yet. You're going to kill us all if we let, this, let you loose on this thing. And, and, and so then the way that they throw it, they have this whole action. Uh, you know, where if you want to do this lob motion, because you, you, you shoot it straight up and it'll come down and kill us all. Uh, you throw it like a baseball, it's liable to land, you know, four feet in front of you and kill us all. So they, they've got this whole process of how you throw it so you can have maximum impact, maximum effectiveness. It's equipping. Not just educating, not just sitting down looking at pieces of paper and watching, watching videos and being told the principles, but never actually getting to handle the real life. So we're missing. We're missing what Jesus said we were supposed to do in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. He said, go therefore. Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 and 19. He said, all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And in verse 19, he says, go therefore and make what? Disciples, not converts. Not converts that know stuff. Not converts that pray to prayer. Disciples. Discipleship, discipleship is simply another word for equipping. There are three elements of discipleship. Three elements of discipleship. Number one, it's intentional. It means it doesn't happen by accident. You don't accidentally disciple people. Sure, you are called to be an example and to live your life in such a way that it will please God and others will see your life and say, man, there, God is all over him. But that is not discipleship. Discipleship is intentional. Discipleship says, let's sit down and let's grow together. Let me help you throw that grenade right. That's discipleship. Let's work on pulling the pin. Now, 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 what happens when your husband responds that way? What, what happens when your kids are getting on your... What, 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 do, you, what do you do uh, when you look at the bank and, and it, it's in the red and, 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 and we just want to lose it? How do we believe God? How do we stand in faith? How do we pray? How do we grow in our relationship? No longer is it just reading some verses and hearing a preacher share some emails and funny, uh, funny stories and, and throw the word on top of it and say we've been to church. But now it's, it's, it's how are we growing and how are we producing 
maximum effectiveness. But you cannot get maximum results with minimum investment. Discipleship. It's intentional. Hey, I want to be a disciple. Hey, I, I, I need to get around you. Now, look, I, I know it comes with accountability. I know it comes with the responsibility because now whatever I'm discipling you on, you're going to be required to be responsible for. Responsibility is the ability to respond. There's a responsibility now. If I'm going to disciple you in this thing, then I'm going to, ex- I'm going to expect some results. I'm going to put maximum effort. I'm going to put everything. I'm going to give all I've got and pour it into all I've got. Number two, it's specific. It's specific. I mean, you're not just getting around talking about your day and talking about your week and just shooting the breeze. There's going to be word in there. We're going to get specific. How are we going to handle that situation next time? How are we going to, what are we going to do with that scenario? This is discipleship. Obviously, Jesus is the greatest example of discipleship because he discipled 12 crazy people. I'll be honest with you. When he left, I would have said, I ain't going nowhere. You ain't got it yet. I mean, in Acts chapter 1, they're still asking him, hey, by the way, before you go, before you get on this plane, before you head back up to the Father, when's your kingdom coming? And I could just picture Jesus. Oh, Lord, help him. He couldn't say, oh, Lord, help him, because he was the Lord. So he's like, oh, that's me. So he's like, all right. He's like, man, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. But go and tarry and wait for the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, you'll be endued with power. See ya. That's all I got. I would have been like, we're starting over. Give me, I, I would have probably, give me 12 more. Give me 12 different ones. Good thing I'm, good thing it wasn't me. And going fish. Forget it. Forget it. Because he discipled. It was intentional. Did he correct his disciples? Sure. Oh, you have little faith. But he taught them. They lived with them. They walked with them. And it was specific. He said, here's what you're going to do. Here's the plan. I'm leaving. I'm going to the Father, and my Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to replace me. He's going to come live inside you, and he's going to remind you, and he's going to teach you, and he's going to show you, and he's going to guide you, and he's going to lead you into all the stuff that I've said for these last three and a half short years. And you're going to go out, and you're going to do the same. The discipleship, third element, requires imitation. No longer can we short-circuit discipleship. If there is not a demand on imitation, hmm, that sounds like Paul. What did Paul say? What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 11, verse 1? Philippians chapter 11, verse 1. Philippians chapter 11, verse 1. We're closing. Stay with me just a few more minutes. A few more minutes. Philippians chapter 11. I'm sorry, not not 11. There's no such thing as 11. No such thing 
made these notes? Who did all this? 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Imitate me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Jesus said in, in John chapter 14, verse 12. I think there's a John 14, verse 12. I'm starting to doubt my confidence now. John chapter 14, verse 12, he said, For those that believe, these signs that I've been doing, you will do. And even greater works. What's he saying? You'll be, you'll be my little imitation. You'll be my little mini-me's. You'll just go around and you're going to do everything that I've been teaching you and everything I've been telling you and everything I have been showing you. And he equipped his disciples because in Matthew chapter 10, he sent them out. He sent out the 12 and, and then he sent out the 70 and he gave them the same power and the same authority to what? Do what he did. And they came back and said, Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Imitation. Philippians chapter 2. There is a Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Look what Paul says here. Last one. Philippians 2. Verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded, like-minded, same mind. I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own. Guys, he knows who is equipped. And he knows who is not equipped. It's obvious. It's evident. It's visible. It's tangible. You can see equipping taking place. No, they're, they're not there yet. They still seek their own interests. They they, they, they're not going to care for your state. And, and, and so I have Timothy. I only have Timothy. He identifies who's got it. He identifies who doesn't. Who's equipped and who's not. Why is Timothy equipped? Because he's like-minded. He's an imitation of me. I can send Timothy, and I know he's going to do what I would do. Can we confidently say that Jesus can send us into the world, and he can be confident that we will do what he did? If not, then we might need to question our equipping. We might need to evaluate our equipping. He says, for I have no one. Like-minded. Do we have this one in the New Living, Jimmy? I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Christ. This is it, guys, that we have to be interested in what God is interested in. The church should have the same interests. We should not have competing agendas. We should not have competing agendas. Worship team, if you come. We should not have competing agendas in the church. We need to be equipped and we need to be equipping. What level of discipleship have we given ourselves to? And here's the second one. What level of discipleship are we giving to others? Who are you discipling? They should have a name. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine just this past week, and he said he was really encouraging his team. He's a, 
he, he is a worship pastor actually in another church here in town. And he was encouraging his team for this last year. Who are you discipling? And when he originally asked the question, there, there was some hesitancy. And then some people started to respond, well, you know, I, people at work. No, no, no. Not, not who's watching you. Not, not who you're hoping sees your lifestyle. And who you're hoping one day will come ask you. No, who are you discipling? Who are you intentionally, specifically, and pouring yourself into in such a way that they can imitate you? We should all have this. Imitate me. As I imitate Christ. Would you feel confident asking somebody to imitate your lifestyle? Paul was. He was confident. Imitate me. Doesn't mean I don't ever mess up. Doesn't mean I I, I won't have blow up moments. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. See, we, 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 have, we have bought into the lie that imitation is arrogance. Oh, look at me. Oh, you want me to be just like you? No, imitate me. As I, That means it's conditional. If I'm not imitating Christ, you no longer are obligated to imitate me. It's conditional. Everyone stand up. Everyone stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Imitation, 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 imitation. Discipleship, discipleship, equipping, equipping, discipleship. Father, we want to be disciples. We want to be disciples. We want to be discipled and we want to be disciples. We want people to pour into us so that we can then pour into others. You have called us here for a greater purpose, greater good, greater command. You've resourced us, you've equipped, you've equipped us, you've furnished us, you've brought everything to us that we need. Now we want to obey. Now we want to do. Now we want to live out what has been placed within so that we can be the church. Not go to church, attend church, do church. Be the church in the last days. May we not just be knowers. May we be doers. May we apply. May we strive and yearn to do all that you commanded us to do. Then our way will be prosperous. Then it will be successful. That's the church. That's the church that will rise up in the last days. That's the church that will stand in the last days. That's the church that will remain in the last days. Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes arrogant. But knowledge that is uh, uh, attached to doing and application. Now we have given something the world to follow. Father, I thank you that you'll strengthen us, strengthen us in this word, strengthen us in these verses, strengthen us in these notes, strengthen us so that we can be true disciples, followers of the kingdom of God. We give you the glory and praise. It's not our own ability. It's not our own power. It's not our own might. It's by your spirit, says the Lord. And we thank you. We give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.